Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Hi, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. I'm a, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute or so, so please take a moment to get situated. And to the folks out there in podcast land, we messed up on the sound a little bit last week, so that's why we didn't post it last week. So, so uh, at this time, let's take uh, take a moment to turn your iPhones off, your Droid phones off, your anything else that's going to distract others and to keep you f- this focused from the group. The coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting so as to minimize distractions. Yeah, be a rebel and go get coffee. It's cool. Also, refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down during the meeting, please. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. What would that look like? Just take a big deep breath in and let it percolate at the top and then just... Exhale. Good. Breathe in God. Breathe out self. (laughs) Percolate. got that from him. That's vape lungs when it percolates. (laughs) Yeah, you got the popcorn lung. So let's take this time to get reconnected to God. We're going to get the monks coming in. They're going to start chanting with us. So just close your eyes. Chill out for three minutes. Enjoy this time of just being here at one. Enjoy the AC.
just want to stay in meditation for the rest of the night. Yeah. Sure do. Good night. Um, let's do the us version of the fog light prayer. God, God, let your love shine through us like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through us. Amen. So we're going to have Tanisha come up and do our secretary's report. Come on up, Tanisha. Hi, my name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Greg to read the recovery statement. My name is Greg, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Greg. Hey, All right. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering. And what is exact what it exactly means to be recovered a recovered alcoholic. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA who really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. No one's there to make a deal, but we'll make a deal. <laughs> we meet Alex is back there. He'll do it for Alex. Ding. We meet every Monday, promptly at 7.15, but some of us get here at 5.30 and help set up, and then some of us get here at 6.30-ish, and we fellowship and we get to know each other. Um, feel free to come early and stay a little late. It's always fun with us. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. I, from the fourth to the first edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, we have Alcoholics Anonymous for more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other people how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this here group. From there is a solution, also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So this is an opening, and that means that all who those all those who have interest in alcoholism in the program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you don't want to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. 
We ask that you protect ours. And on the topic of anonymity... This meeting is going to be podcast on the World Wide Web, uh, so if you want to disguise your voice or just pass that microphone if you don't want your voice on the, uh, the internet. Totally understandable. Can we see a show of hands of people just join us for the first time? Can I see a show of hands of the recovered alcoholics? And if you just leave your little hands up there for a minute. If your hand's not up, talk to the folks whose hands are. They'll explain what's going on here, and they get you connected to God and help you in a life to a bit better, better. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So did anybody sneak in and not get a book presented to you? Who doesn't have a loan or, or a book in front of you right now because it's a big book study and you need one? Good. Welcome team did great. We successful there. All right, before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 5 with Ryan, our traditionist. Tonight, let's take a quick look at Tradition 6. Please refer to the unabridged big book, page 562, and the abridged skinny version, page 177. Hi, Ryan. Hey. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. And tonight we are doing Tradition 6. Uh, so Tradition 6 in the short form. An AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. And then in the very long form, problems of money, property, and authority may easily divert us from our primary spiritual aim. We think, therefore, that any considerable property of genuine use to AA should be separately incorporated and managed, thus dividing the material from the spiritual. An AA group, as such, should never go into business. Secondary aids to AA, such as clubs or hospitals, which require much property or administration, ought to be incorporated and so set apart that, if necessary, they can be freely discarded by the groups. Hence, such facilities ought not to use the AA name. Their management should be the sole responsibility of those people who financially support them. For clubs, AA managers are usually preferred, but hospitals, as well as other places of recuperation, ought to be well outside AA and medically supervised. While an AA group may cooperate with anyone, such cooperation ought never go so far as affiliation or endorsement, actual or implied. An AA group can, be, can bind itself to no one. Um, all right. All right, so um, whenever I am doing these traditions, I really try hard to stick to the tradition that I'm going to be talking about each week. Um, but, it, I mean, it's undeniable how well these work together and how brilliantly they were written. Um, but as far as this tradition, I think the main theme of Tradition 6 is that it warns us of the things that will distract us from our primary purpose. Um, and that's the primary pur purpose we talked about last week in Tradition 5. Um, money, property, and prestige could shift the focus from carrying the message to the still-suffering alcoholic. Um, it's, it's kind of a paradox because it seems like incorporating the gift that we were given into every other aspect of our lives would be a great idea. Uh, so this got me thinking about some things that we read about in the big book, uh, specifically something that we read and how it works. Um, so on page 60, it says, on that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody. Even though our motives are good, most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. It's forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. 
Um, so, for example, uh, while bringing awareness to the public about alcoholism might seem like, like a great idea, like a noble cause, it's not our cause. Um, so there's a few stories that uh, stuck out to me while I was reading about this tradition. Um, and one of them came from the 12 and 12. It talks about how some distilling company wanted to start a campaign on responsible drinking. Um, in one of their meetings, they decided who better to spearhead this campaign than a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and since the fellowship seemed to have a good reputation in the public eye, um, this seemed like a great idea. But then there started to be some doubts. Because uh, not only did the company want to hire this AA and have him break his anonymity on the public level, uh, but he would also have to link the name Alcoholics Anonymous to this particular educational project. Um, so now it would appear that AA was backing education through Liquor Trade Association. <clears throat> Um, another example came from the uh, Grapevine article uh, titled Dangers in Linking AA to Other Projects. And this was written by Bill Wilson in March of 1947. Um, Bill writes that he was asked by some faculty members of Yale University if they could hire an AA specifically to work for the National Committee for the Education on Alcoholism. Um, for this purpose, they wanted the AA member to break his anonymity. Uh, Bill figured that if an AA member was qualified to be a better educator in this area, then why not? Um, and he also gave his approval in dropping the anonymity. Um, and at first, the effects seemed great. You know, there was a considerable amount of publicity. There were new members. Um, and the public was being made aware that alcoholism was a sickness and also that there was a solution. Um, but then the confusion set in because the publicity linking the AA name to this particular educational project, the public started to think that AA as a whole was now all about alcohol education. Um, and then later, when AA became linked with the fundraising campaign, even more confusion arose. Uh, people who were giving money, contributing money to AA, were under the impression that they're contributing money to AA, but then friends are telling them that AA does not solicit money. Uh, so Bill says later on in this, in this article that while dropping anonymity might have its short-term advantages, it carries with it long-term liabilities. Uh, so I think the advice that this tradition is giving us as, is that as individuals, we're free to practice these principles in any aspect of our lives as long as that we don't use the name of AA to endorse our cause. But as a group, we should just keep it simple and stick to our primary purpose. So that's all I've got. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Is that Mary Martin they were talking about? National Association of Alcoholism? Okay, cool. That was awesome. Thank you for the time and effort you put into that. That's great. In order for us to stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide, which is prepared by Krusty Cliff with the aid of Joe and Charlie. Krusty Cliff is uh, with the founder of the Primary Purpose Big Book Group of Dallas, which we are sort of a franchise of, even though we can't be a franchise. Right. Spinoff. Spinoff. It's like wings. A sect. Okay. <laughs> so we have a... A faction. Thank you. I don't think that sounds good either. <laughs> We're, we're anonymous. So uh, tonight we have Jessica to help us read. Please Come on up, Jessica. And tonight we're going to start our reading. We're going to start our study in 146. We're going to start our reading on, what do you say, 144 ballparkish. Sounds good. Jessica is going to sit there until we're ready to go. The way this works, after the page is read by Jessica in the front, we're going to ask questions from the podium, starting back at the 
area we just started. The answers are going to be one sentence unless otherwise specified, like multi-part questions are simply one sentence split up by lots of commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. If you've ever read the book, you know, every once in a while they get into like really run-on sentences, so that's what we're referring to. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then re-dissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions give us gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. And this is important because hearing the question and then rereading the content offers, get a load of this, a definite way of comprehending the material we just covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what we just said or read. If you have spiritual experience with this information, you're free to share. If you don't, feel free to ask questions. And if you start going down a rabbit hole or squirrel hole into like open discussion meeting, don't be afraid if Ryan cuts that conversation short. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship setting, please don't be offended when Ryan, as we said, cuts the conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after the study time. You can never go wrong by just commenting on the stuff we just read, which brings us to the words of the co-founder, Bill W. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol, and the teachings and the practice of the 12 Steps is the sole purpose of an Alcoholics Anonymous group. So we are on our 78th, 79th session, and uh, we just didn't decide today to start reading to employers. We actually started like seven, eight weeks ago. Excellent. So, uh, we're so gonna... we started on page zero 78 weeks ago. We sure did. And page zero... We can see how this works out, don't we? Have yeah. fun. Uh, we talk about the preface and the forwards as kind of one block of information. So the preface and the forwards, starting from page zero and the table of contents and all that good stuff, actually lays out the history of AA. And if we're going to be coming to these meetings for the rest of our lives, hopefully, we want to know about what we're getting ourselves into. So we have uh, an, a hint also at the solution where it says, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution of those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of the belief in and dependence upon God. So we get a hint of the solution, a glimpse of the solution, and then we're going to talk more about the disease of alcoholism in, in a chapter called um, The Doctor's Opinion. By the way, we don't want to like switch and bait people in the AA, so we have a chapter that goes in and explains what alcoholism is. For the next 48 pages or so, we're going to describe the differences between a moderate drinker, a, a, a heavy, hard problem drinker, and the real alcoholics, which is what Alcoholics Anonymous is for. We're going to give everybody an exit ramp. If you're not one of us, we're giving you an exit out so you can politely, you know, don't have to stay here if you don't want to. But if you find out that you're one of us, we're going to help you originally in the doctor's opinion. So we're going to take that information from the forwards and the doctor's opinion, and we're going to bring it to life in a story called... Bill's story. Bill's story is the story of Bill Wilson. He's one of our co-founders. And it goes through the progression of his disease and what this three-part disease looks like in an alcoholic and how it progresses, how he gets sicker and sicker. And finally, after going to multiple detoxes, uh, finds a spiritual solution. His friend, Ebby T, 12 steps him with only a couple months dry, sober at that point. And uh, Bill is, you know, just blown away by that. He's rocketed into what he likes to call the fourth dimension of existence and uh, an ever-widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. So Bill's story is uh, like a 12-step call in a book, basically. It's a speaker meeting in print. And then after that, we want to know more about the solution. I'm hooked. So we have a chapter called? There's a solution. I'm looking for some really cute line from here. But so we find out what the solution is. They touch base in, in, in the forwards. They, they touch base just a little bit about the solution in the doctor's opinion. They, they touch base a little bit about the solution also in Bill's story that it's a spiritual 
type solution. And we have a chapter called There's a Solution that gets in-depth and explains why a spiritual solution is necessary for a real alcoholic to get recovered and to get sober. Why therapy and vision boards and group talk-talk will help a problem. Maybe a hard drinker, but that same person who's an alcoholic will leave the rehab and get drunk on the way leaving the rehab. Why is that? Well, we're going to tell you why a spiritual solution is like that. So now that we're convinced that you need to have a spiritual solution to get sober, we need to like remind people that if you're a real alcoholic, there really is no other choice. So we have a chapter called... More About Alcoholism. And More About Alcoholism, we, it's also known as the chapter on relapse. And we talk about the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. So knowing that there is a solution and a spiritual solution to alcoholism, it actually isn't enough to recover. So Drink. I can... Yeah. So we have, uh, we have the man of 30 who stays dry for about 20 years and then goes to pieces quickly and is dead within four after he starts drinking again. And it's a progressive disease. We learned some stories about that. This is the delusion that I can, I can drink again because I've had a period of abstinence. It's a delusion we all suffer from at some point. Uh, so, and then we have some other stories in there. We have the, the man of 30. We have the jaywalker, which is just the progression. We have Jim and we have Fred. And so we learn that it's a program of action. We actually have to chop wood and carry water if we want to recover from this thing. And when we're sold on that, we go into uh, how it works. And we have a chapter called how it works. Well, didn't we, didn't we just blow off we agnostics? Ah, of course. Yeah. So you I realize you're alcoholic and we sold you in, <laughs> we sold you on, we, in, in more about alcoholism, that you're an alcoholic and you need to have the spiritual experience. You need to have this relationship with God. You need to follow through with the steps or you're, you know, you're, you're kissing the pooch. You're dead, you know? So, but you have an issue with God or you think you have an issue with God or you've had problems with religious people growing up. We got a whole chapter called we agnostics, which is polite, First, calling us, you know, confused. You know, we think we know something, well, we don't. And it takes everything we think you know about life, religion, spirituality, what it is to be a mother, a brother, a, a co-worker, and it puts it all on the table and allows us the opportunity to look at our lives in a different way. It gives us that emergency door to say, hmm, what if? I think I'll give it a try. And if you're at that point, then you need to follow through with a program of action, which starts with a decision that we call how it works. We have a, a third step prayer. It starts off by listing the 12 steps in the chapter, how it works. And then it talks about uh, how any life run on self-will can hardly be a success and why we need to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And that's what we do in the third step prayer. And then next we launched out on a course of vigorous action, it describes how to do a fourth step written inventory to clear away the things that have been blocking us from this relationship that we learned about in We Agnostics. You know, there's that part in the book, somebody can help me. I've been looking for it. It's like, um, up to this point, you know you're going to die of alcoholism. We've given you a solution. And the question is, you probably want to know how. And then we mm -hmm. get into saying, well, we got some more stuff to tell you. Do you know what that little paragraph is? Is that ringing anybody's bell? I know it's in the book somewhere. So, We've made a spiritual decision to turn our will and life with my will, which is my thinking, my life, which is my action, or the care of my decision of what God's going to be, my conception of God. I make a list of everything that I was never, ever going to tell anybody, right? I have a resentment inventory, a fears inventory, a sex conduct inventory, and a harms inventory. And I was never going to tell this stuff to another person. It starts off giving me a reason why I have to take this to somebody else. Because I can't look at a four-step honestly. I'm going to still manipulate and lie and diminish and, you know, just loophole it. So I got somebody who's going to call me on my doo-doo, point out the stuff I can't point out, and help me reach a point where I don't want to live like that anymore. Hence steps, <clears throat> hence steps six and seven. <clears throat> so I'm cool with God, and you're going to pick up because I'm up here choking. And how many, how many steps do we have in the chapter in, into action? It's seven, seven, right? It's a lot of steps. So that's, that's the, the, the bulk of choking. the program. 
<clears throat> we got the meat and potatoes in, into action, and then after we're in, finished with into action, we get into working with others. That whole chapter, it says at the end of into action, the next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. And then that chapter, we talk about uh, how we're going to make that approach and have that initial conversation with the drunk, take him for the walk. and or Which is where the recovery starts. Mm-hmm. When you start working with newcomers, when you start working with others, that's when your relationship with God and others starts to grow. So I'm cool with God. I'm cool with people around me now, but I've damaged a lot of other people. So now the book has to turn and help other people. You know, for the past 25 weeks or so, we haven't been talking about us. You know, which people don't like. They want to talk about ourselves. We've been talking about our, our wives, our family members, and employers we're talking about today. So we're going to wrap up to the employers tonight. But you know, we first of all had to the wives, which was how to deal with sponsees, friends who have wives, whose husbands or wives are alcoholic. That's a whole chapter on how they can work with us. And then we have a chapter called to the family afterwards, which is? To the family afterward is how the family can actually... Uh, recover and live happy, joyous, and free, whether or not the alcoholic gets sober and stays sober. So once I'm introduced as a drunk to the program of AA, uh, how is my ex-wife and my mom, how are they going to live so that they can be happy? And that's kind of what uh, to the family afterward outlines. And and then after to the family afterward. We're where we're at right now, the, to the employers. It's like, and we just, I had one of those aha moments. We're sitting here talking about it before. When I'm, list, when I'm reading to the employers, we're hardworking, you know, we're good people, we have some problems and stuff like that. And I'm thinking back to my last few weeks, and I was like on the couch calling, and I was not the ideal employee. And it occurred to us, this is an opportunity for an employer to catch us early, before we get fired, before we lose everything. It's like, what did you say? It was like... Oh, it's like catching the tooth fairy coming in to put that money under your pillow at night, you know? I still don't understand what that means. but it's <laughs> So you're catching me early. If you, if you spot the alcoholic in this chapter when they're still industrious and hardworking people and they can actually get help and get sober, the chapter yes. talks a lot about value. So how do you get the most value out of that alcoholic when they're working for your company? And that's kind of like the tooth fairy putting that money under your pillow for the molar. And that's what my boss did. He finally realized that enough is enough. He's no longer profitable. He's going to end up dead. We must do something about it. He let me bake. He let me get. He didn't come to me really early and say, you know, you drink too much. You should go to detox or rehab or something. He waited until I was like total cuckoo puffs and I was ready to do it. I had it was like he was he let me he let me bake until I was done, you know. I wasn't put in a position that I really had not interest in. I really wanted the help when it was given to me. So we're going to start reading on page 144. And we're going to read out today. So that's going to be fun. Um, I am looking forward for the next few weeks, though, because we get to start talking about ourselves again. And alcoholics love that. Yeah, we get a vision for you next time. Yeah. So we'll start reading at the bottom, the middle of page 145. If he speaks of the home situation. Are you there, Jesse? Yes. Yeah, and okay. I'll, I'll push this down for you so you, you got a nice loud voice, though. Yeah, I'm Jessica. Oh, you got that other thing anyway. Is this on? Yeah. All right, I'm Jessica. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Jessica. Is it on page 62? This is the how and why of it? What you're 145. Is that where that was? Where it says, this is the how and why of it? No, there's that one part. that you're probably asking how we get... And then we say, we've got more to go into. Oh, okay. It's like, we're going to read the rest of the book, so... All right, so if he speaks of his home situation... You can undoubtedly make helpful suggestions. He can talk frankly with you so long as he does not bear witness. Business tell, okay, does not bear business tales or criticize his associates. With this kind of employee, such an attitude will command undenying loyalty. 
undenying loyalty. The greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. Wherever men are gathered together in a business, there will be rivalries. And arising out of these, a certain amount of office politics. And sometimes we alcoholics have an idea that the people are trying to pull us down. Often this is not so at all, but sometimes our drinking will be used politically. Okay. One instance comes to mind in which the malicious individual will always making friendly little jokes about the alcoholic drinking exploits. In this way, he was sly carrying tales. In another case, an alcoholic was sent to a hospital for treatment. Only a few knew of it at first. Within a short time, it was a billboard throughout the entire company. Naturally, this sort of thing decreased the man's chance of recovery. The employer can many times protect the victim from this kind of talk. The employer cannot play favorites, but he can always defend a man from needless provocation and unfair criticism. And this is where we're going to start the reading where we're going to actually do a study of. So this is, we're going to read out from here. Yeah. So as a class, alcoholics are energetic people. They work hard and they play hard. Your man should be on his metal, metal to make good. Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. You may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day. You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. He may wish to do a lot of other alcohol, may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics and something of the sort may come up during business hours. A reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. This work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. After your man has gone along without drinking for a few months, you may you may be able to make use of his services with other employees who are giving you an alcoholic runaround, provided, of course, they're willing to have a third party in the picture. An alcoholic who has recovered but holds a relatively unimportant job can talk to a man with a better position, being on a radical different basis of life. He will never take advantage of the situation. Your man may be trusted, Long experience with alcoholic excuses naturally arouses suspicion. When his wife calls saying mm. he is sick, you might jump to the conclusion mm. he is drunk. If he is and is still trying to recover, we will tell you about it even if means the loss of, jo- of his job. For he knows he must be honest if he were to live at all. We will appreciate knowing you are not bothering <clears throat> your herd about him that you are not suspicious, nor are you trying to run his life. So he will be shielded from temptation to drink. If he is um, conscientiously following the program of recovery, he can go anywhere your business may call him. So I can relate to this part where you, when we were talking about if he can be trusted, and it's funny because the first coming back to my job, maybe after the third time, I would get these little text messages from my boss. Remember you work tonight. Remember you work tonight. You know, so he was, he was on shaky ground for a while, you know, and, um, that's wild. And then we have a cook there also that suffers from the same disease. And 
you know, I reach out to him as much as possible. But no one asks me to, but I, we all know what's going on. And I can relate to a lot about that. Remember how energetic we get when we don't show up to work because we have alcohol poisoning? You know, people, some people get hung over, right? I was in this continual stage of end-stage alcohol poisoning. I was hung over, but it was to the point where it was actually my whole body was just poisoned. Was, and, and finally, when that went away and I had this, this energy level that my body wasn't fighting death, it was like just living like, I was like this really well-running employee. I was you know, a little goofy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I had tons of energy. And I also had people in the office who had some cute sense of humor. They thought it would be fun to like hide my keys or stash my glasses somewhere. Oh my gosh. Or put my phone to just see how they could screw with me to see how upset I could get, which it, it did sometimes. But, you know, they wanted the best for me, but it was, they were still having fun with me. Did he stumble? In case, in case he does stumble, even once, you will have to decide whether to let him go. If you're sure he doesn't mean business, there's no doubt you should discharge him. If, on the contrary, you're sure he is doing his utmost, you may wish to give him another chance. But you should feel under no obligation to keep him on. If your obligation has been well discharged already. But there's another thing you might wish to do. If your organization is a large one, your junior executives might be provided with this book. If you might let them know you have no quarrel with the alcoholics of, organiza- of your organization. These juniors are often in difficult position. Men under them are frequent, frequently their friends. So for one reason or another, they cover these men, hoping, ho- um, the, hoping matters will take a turn for the better. They often jeopardize our own positions by trying to help serious drinkers who should have been fired long ago or else given an opportunity to get well. So after reading this book, a junior executive can go to such a man and say approximately this, look here, Ed, do you want to stop drinking or not? You put me on the spot every time you get drunk. It isn't fair to me or the firm. I have been learning something about alcoholism. If you're an alcoholic, you're a mighty sick man. You act like one too. The firm wants to help you get over it. And if you're interested, there is a way out. If you take it, your past will be forgotten. And the fact that you went away for treatment will not be mentioned. Yeah, right. Okay. But if you cannot or will not stop drinking, I think you ought to resign. I just love the matter of fact of it. You're an alcoholic, and there's a solution. Now, do something about it. You know? it's like, you're going to lose everything. They, they really haven't touched on the mental insanity on this place yet, where it's like, you know, maybe a better job will do better. But, but I like the fact that they don't beat around the bush. It's like, this is your situation. Here's a solution. Now, do something with it, or go away. Adios. Your junior executive may not agree with the contents of this book. He need not and often should not show it to his alcoholic prospect, but at least he will understand the problem and he will no longer be misled by ordinary promises. He will be able to take a position with such a man which is eminently eminently fair and square. He will have no further reason for covering up an alcoholic employee. So it boils right down to this. No man should be fired just because he's an alcoholic. If he wants to stop, he should be afforded a real chance. If he cannot or does not want to stop, he should be discharged. The exceptions are few. We think this method of approach will accomplish several things. It will permanent the rehabilitation of good men. At the same time, you will feel no 
reluctance to rid yourself of those wait a minute, I'm losing my thing. Of those who cannot and will not stop. I'm getting caught up. Alcoholism may be causing your organization considerable damage and it's waste of time, men, and reputation. We hope our suggestions will help you plug up this sometimes serious leak. We, are, we think we are sensible when we urge that you stop this waste and give your worthwhile man a chance. This reminds me of the Florida Medical Act. Medical Leave Act? The Florida Medical Act? Or No, what is that? FMLA, the Fe- Family Medical well, Leave Act. Fe- yeah. Federal Medical Leave Act, yeah. Well, that, yeah. What did I say? Federal? Yeah, Florida. I mean, Florida? it's nationwide. It, they let you use it even in Maryland. You can go to, uh, you can go to like a partial day treatment program and somebody get paid for a whole day of work. Just and then yeah. you can go to the liquor store on the way home if you want to. Yeah, and you can utilize that a few times. When I worked, oh, in, yeah. I, when yeah. I worked in treatment, I had a lot of clients using that. They do give them an the opportunity. Uh, full pay while you're playing chess yep. in the half, halfway house. It's your new job. It's uh, be abused I don't like think that else. was the intent. Certainly not. The other day, an appro- <laughs> so the other day, approach was made to the vice president of large industrial concern. He remarked, "I'm mighty glad you fellows got over your drinking." <laughs> like it's a cold. <laughs> <laughs> but the policy of this company is not to interfere with the habits of our employees. If a man drinks so much that his job suffers, we fire him. I don't see how you can be of any help to us for. As you see, we don't have any alcoholic problem. Hmm. This same company spends millions for research every year. Their cost of production is figured to a fine decimal point. They have recreational recreational facilities. There's a company insurance. There's a real interest, both humanitarian and business, in the well-being of employees. But alcoholism, well, they just don't believe they have it. So... Perhaps this is a typical attitude. We who have collectively seen a great deal of business life at last, at least from the alcoholic angle, had to smile at this gentleman's sincere opinion. He might be shocked if he knew how alcoholism is costing his organization a year. That company may harbor many actual and potential alcoholics. We believe that managers of large enterprises often have little idea how prevalent this prevalent this problem is. Even if you feel your organization has no alcoholic problem, it might pay to take another look down the line. You may, you may make some interesting discoveries. So of course this chapter refers to alcoholics, sick people, and deranged men. <laughs> what our friend, the vice president, what our friend, the vice president had in mind is the habitual or whoopee drinker. <laughs> That's the guy saying he doesn't have drinking problem, alcohol problem, right? Whoopee. As to them, his policy is undoubtedly sound, but he did not distinguish between such people and the alcoholic. It is not to be expected that the alcoholic employee will receive disproportionate amount of time and attention. He should not be made a favorite. The right kind of man and the kind who recovers will not want this sort of thing. He will not impose. Did you read that again? He will not impose. Far from it, he will work like the devil and thank you for his dying day. Yes. Today, I own a little company. There are two alcoholic employees who produce as much as five normal salesmen. But why not? 
They have a new attitude and they have been saved from a living death. I have enjoyed every moment spent in getting to them straightened out. We have finished to the employers. Hallelujah. But there's some good stuff we can still touch on tonight, you know. The idea that uh, how the fact that my employer was knowledgeable of alcoholism. He, he, had a, he had a partner that he put through rehab that, he, that, was, that got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous and stayed over sober. Um, so he knew how to deal with me as an alcoholic. This is, this is the first time around. Back in the 80s when I was working with corporations and real companies that had, didn't care about my situation and stuff. You know, a lot of times I, what do we, what do we call it when we just didn't show up for work? Voluntary job abandonment. Involuntary job abandonment. I would just stop showing up to the job. And it's, I don't recall anybody. I did have one boss um, who called. I, I remember I quit one night because I wanted to go drinking. And I left a note, something like, I got a job as a flight attendant. Thank you very much. I quit. <laughs> and uh, shoved it through the mail door. This was like a factory. And, 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 um, and he called my mom. And he called my dad, and, and he told him that he was Thank worried you. about me because, well, a lot of stuff. I was the shipping guy, so I would, snort, I would leave lunch and do drink and smoke some stuff, and I'd come back. So I was shipping the wrong stuff to the wrong places and the wrong numbers, and it started coming back. So he had this idea that definitely something was wrong. But it was when I just had this weird out of the blue, I quit. I got a flight job as a flight attendant that, that my parents, and my parents didn't do anything. Ominous warning. Which Ominous warning, which they failed either, like two years later that... I went that they had that vacation trip, but um, you know, like we were talking about this earlier, <laughs> long vacation. The fact that this is an opportunity for people out there to help people like us. Like, how many people have friends that you know probably should be in these rooms, but nobody has approached them other than us? And who wants to hear from us, right? Maybe the boss, and you don't really want to get fired. So if anybody has anything... Oh, we're going to do questions. We sure do. You want me to ask? Yeah. No, you're going to walk around. Yes. You ask. I'm going to walk. I get the microphone okay. tonight. Because you were good at that. Question time. All right. So we're going to start these questions uh, from the first paragraph, first full paragraph on page 146, where it says, as a class. So uh, generally speaking, what are alcoholics? As a class, alcoholics are energetic people. How do they live their lives? They work hard and they play hard. It will be in his character to do what? Your man should be on his mettle to make good. With the body still recovering, how may he approach his task? Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. What may you have to do? By the way, we're referring... He's right. now talking to your employee who has come back and got starting to get sober, not your end stage run of not showing up to work. Point. All right. So what may you have to do? <clears throat> oh, all right. You may have to curb uh, his desire to work 16 hours a day. What may you need to do to encourage? What may you need to encourage him to do? You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. What may he wish to do? He may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics, and something of the sort may come up during business hours. How should you respond to this? A reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. Why should you be considerate of this activity? This work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. Next paragraph. After a few months of recovery, how else may you find him useful to you? 
After your man has gone along without drinking for a few months, you may be able to make sense or make use of his services with other employees who are giving you the alcoholic runaround provided. provided what condition exists? And then continue there, Alex. Oh, yeah, you can keep reading. Go for it. Provided, of course, they are willing to have a third party in the picture. Thank you. What unique situation will you find there? An Here. alcoholic who has recovered but holds a relatively unimportant job can talk to a man with a better position. I was just talking to somebody last Thursday night. He was looking for a sponsor. And I said, he was like in his late 30s. And I said, would you mind working with somebody younger? And he said, no. So hook him up with a younger person. It's sort of cool. If they're dying, they'll do anything, right? Right. As the result of his spiritual way of life, he will never do what? Being on a radically different basis of life, he will never take advantage of the situation. Next paragraph. How can you view your man? Your man may be trusted. What, may, what might make you suspicious? Long experience with alcoholic excuses naturally arouse suspicion. What might you believe the next time his wife calls? When his wife next calls saying he is sick, you might jump to the conclusion he is drunk. We have a two-part question here. If he has been drinking and is serious about recovery, what will he tell you? And even if he is faced with what? If he is and is still trying to recover, he will tell you about it even if it means the loss of his job. Of what is he certain? For he knows he must be honest if he would live at all. What will he appreciate? He will appreciate knowing you are not bothering your head about him, that you are not suspicious, nor are you trying to run his life, so he will be shielded from temptation to drink. He's probably getting enough of that at home, right? Hi. If he is truly on our program, what can he do? If he is conscientiously following the program of recovery, he can go anywhere your business may call him. What must you decide if he returns to drinking? In case he does stumble, even once... You will have to decide whether to let him go. If you have any doubts regarding his sincerity, what should you do? If you are sure he doesn't mean business, there is no doubt you should discharge him. If you are convinced he is really lying, really trying, what might you do? If, on the contrary, you are sure he's doing his utmost, you may wish to give him another chance. Who else might benefit from this book? But you should feel under no obligation to keep him on, for your obligation has been well discharged already. Next paragraph. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, sorry, we're on the next, uh, next paragraph. Is there something else you might do? There is another thing you might wish to do. What message do you want to pass along to them? If your organization is a large one, your junior executives might be provided with this book. Where do junior executives find themselves sometimes? You might let them know them, uh, known you have uh, no call with the alcoholic of your organization. Often the men who work under them prove to be what else? These juniors are often in a difficult position. Therefore, the junior exec might be tempted to do what? Men under them are frequently their friends. Are we off a tad? Sorry, yeah, we are. We are. 
Okay, what's that last question again? Let's figure that out. Therefore, the junior exec might be tempted to do what? And what's the answer supposed to be? They often jeopardize their own positions. These, off, these juniors are often in a difficult position. Good. Next question. In what situation might they be placing themselves? Uh, they often jeopardize their own positions by trying to help serious drinkers who should have been fired long ago or else given an opportunity to get well. Next paragraph. All right. We're on the next paragraph now. Start back here. After the junior exec has read this book, what may he be able to do? This is a two-sentence response. After reading this book, a junior executive can go to such a man and say approximately this. Look here, Ed. You want me to keep going? Sure. Okay. Do you want to stop drinking or not? Yeah, thanks. All right, next question. You are putting me in a what? Also two sentences. You put me yeah, look here. Oh, excuse me. You put me on the spot every time. <laughs> you put me on the spot every time you get drunk. Thanks. One more sentence. <laughs> it isn't fair to me or the firm. I have learned something about what? I have learned something about alcoholism. There we go. I must tell you that if you are an alcoholic, you might be what? This is also two sentences. If you are an alcoholic. If you are an alcoholic, you are a mighty sick man. Yeah. You act like one. What does the firm want to do? The firm wants to help you get over it. And if you're interested, <clears throat> there is a way out. Thanks. And if, what will we keep confidential? If you take it. Very doubtful if you take it. If you take it, your past will be forgotten. And the fact that you went away for treatment will not be mentioned. But what if you want to keep drinking? You had better do what? But if you cannot or will not stop drinking, I think you ought to resign. So just so we're on the same page, get caught up. We're on page 148, correct? We're going into the next paragraph, the first full paragraph at the top. What may your junior exec not agree with? Your junior executive may not agree with the contents of our book. What should he maybe not do? He need not not. He need not and often should not show it as his alcoholic prospect. But what may he have learned? But at least he will understand. But at least he will understand the problem and will will no longer be misled by ordinary promises. It will enable him to treat the employee how? He will be able to take a position with such a man which is eminently fair and square. From what will it free him? He will have no further reason for covering up an alcoholic employee. Next paragraph. What does it boil down to? It boils right down to this. No, matter, uh, no man should be fired just because he's an alcoholic. If he wants to stop drinking, what should he be given? If he wants to stop, he should be afforded a real chance. If that is not the case, what should you do? If he cannot or does not want to stop, he should be discharged. The exceptions are few. The exceptions to this rule are the next yeah, paragraph. We think this okay. approach will do what? Hi. We think this method of approach will accomplish several things. First, it will permit what? Hi. It will permit the rehabilitation of good men. At the same time, you will find what other benefit? 
At the same time, you will feel no reluctance to rid yourself of those who cannot or will not stop. What might alcoholism be doing to your business? Alcoholism may be causing your organization considerable damage and its waste of time, men, and reputation. Who can relate to that, causing that stuff at the office? What do we suggest our... What do we hope our suggestions will do for you? We hope our suggestions will help you plug up this sometimes serious leak. We believe they are being sensible and doing what? We think we are sensible when we urge that you stop this, this waste and give uh, your worthwhile man a chance. Next paragraph. What happened the other day? The other day an approach was made to the vice president of a large industrial concern. All right, the next uh, question is actually four sentences. Whoa. Even though the vice president was presented with information which could profit their company greatly, what was his response? He remarked, I'm mighty glad you fellows got over your drinking, but the policy of this company is not to interfere with the habits of our employees. If a man drinks so much that his job suffers, we fire him. I don't see how you can be of any help to us, to us for, as you see... We don't have any alcoholic problem. Boom. All right, and we have a comment here. Unfortunately, the situation continues today in our so-called enlightened times. On page 20, quote, behind them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. And we're on page 149. What does this company do with some of its money? This same company spends millions for research every year. Are they concerned with the cost of doing business? Their cost of production is figured to a fine decimal point. What benefits have they provided their employees? Two sentences. They have recreational facilities. There is company insurance. Do they, pay, do they display real interest in their workers? There is a real interest, both humanitarian and business, in the well-being of employees. Of what do they believe they are free? But alcoholism, well, they just don't believe they have it. Next paragraph. How may this attitude be classified? Perhaps this is a typical attitude. Yeah. What, is, what is our inward feeling toward these views? Hi. Hi. Fuzzy we who have collectively seen a great deal of business life, at least from the alcoholic angle, had to smile at this gentleman's sincere opinion. At what would he very likely be shocked to learn? He might be shocked if he knew how much alcoholism is costing his organization a year. What may be true about their payroll? That company may harbor many actual or potential alcoholics. What knowledge may top executives be lacking? We believe that managers of large enterprises often have little idea how prevalent this problem is. Even for those certain they have no problem drinkers on hand, what might prove to be profitable? Even if you feel your organization has no alcoholic problem, it might pay to take another look down the line. What may you find? You may make some interesting discoveries. Next paragraph. Who does this chapter refer to? Of course, this chapter refers to alcoholics, sick people, deranged men. What sort of person was the vice president thinking of? What our friend, the vice president, had in mind was the habitual whoopee drinker. Problem heavy hard drinker. All right, and we have a two-part question. How would his personnel policy apply to them, and what is he unable to distinguish between? 
As to them, his policy is undoubtedly sound, but he did not distinguish between such people and the alcoholic. Next paragraph. The alcoholic employee should not receive what? It is not to be expected that an alcoholic employee will receive a disproportionate amount of time and attention. He should not be what? He should not be made a favorite. How will recovered alcoholics respond to this type of treatment? The right kind of man, the kind who recovers, will not want this sort of thing. He will not do what? He will not impose. What will he do instead? Two sentences. Far from it, he will look, work like the devil and thank you to his dying day. Next paragraph. Today, I own what? Today, I own a little company. Two-part question. How many employees do I have, but what do they do? There are two alcoholic employees who produce as much as the normal salesman, but why not? Next question. Let's put why would they do out. that? Two sentences. They have, they have a new attitude, and they have been... Uh, Save from it, living death. I. Next question. What have I enjoyed? I have enjoyed every moment spent in getting them straightened out. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. We did it. All right. So next week we're going to be into a vision for you. So let's take a moment and think about some of the things we did to our employers that cost them money. Well, it's we funny. don't have to share about them, but we, we have a few nightmares, don't we? Um, me shipping the wrong things to the wrong... So I was supposed to send 12 things to store number 18. I would send 18 things to store number 12, and that happened a lot. Showing up late, bartending, right? Two for me, one for them, that type of thing. Stealing from the boss, hourly wages, calling in sick when I wasn't sick. Taking advantage of the FMLA. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of every six uh, months. I get a vacation. (laughs) Anyone can jump in and share if you want. I'll give you the fuzzy one. So, being that now I'm recovered, I hardly ever call into work, right? But like when I know that, like I'm kind of like, okay, I had a little tooth pain last night and I was like, damn, I want to call in today and tell him I have a tooth. But it's like, even when I have called in, like the whole day sucks because I'm like feeling guilty for not being at work or I can't even enjoy or like heal because I should be at work. So I don't know. It's part of the alcoholism, I guess, but like it's definitely the God consciousness that's set in. You know, am I really that sick? Yeah, I got this boss who says, "Well, you know, if you're going to feel crappy, you may as well feel crappy at the office." (laughs) 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 Meanwhile, the flu goes all over the office and stuff like. Do you have anything to say in there tonight, Christopher? Uh, Well, I would just say on the other side, um, after costing the company thousands of dollars for just collecting FMLA and not doing productive work uh, during that time, you know, it's it's great to be recovered on the other side of it because I've shown up to my job and I. They actually let me open the facility and close it, and they trust me, and uh, that's an amazing thing. And, and when I don't take time off unnecessarily because I'm doing drugs and drinking. Uh, or I'm on the job doing drugs and drinking. I remember my coworker was asking me why I was going to the bathroom every single hour. Yeah. And, uh, but today, actually, my, my mom got into a car accident with, with my buddy Mike, and I got to leave work, and I didn't really feel too bad about it because I haven't been leaving work ever, really. So uh, that's an amazing gift. 
that from this program, the ability to show up for my family when there's an actual emergency, because I used to invent emergencies, and I went through the book of everything that could have possibly gone wrong in a human being's life to get out of going to work, including family medical leave. I thought your grandfather died like six months ago. <laughs> exactly. That one. So if anything we can take from this thing, we've been reading this for a while to the employers, we've been reading the things to the family afterwards, and we read the, thing, the chapters to the wives. Other people besides us have to deal with us, and, and we can't hold this information to ourselves. So with the family afterwards, you know, we're going to be able to have the family understand what we're going through when we're getting sober. Their expectations are going to be completely out of line of what's really going to happen, or what's really going to happen is completely you know, it's like we never know. And how many wives, how many boyfriends, how many girlfriends, how many people that we have relationships with that are damaged and, and don't know how to deal normally with people again. So we got a chapter, you know, to the wives and... And this chapter, the employees, or to the employers, you know, until we start showing up as good employees, they're going to have negative ideas of what an alcoholic is. You know, they're not going to know how to deal with us unless we share information with the boss. You know, there's a, you should take a look at this book. Let, you know, it's, we're, it's our responsibility, you know, to sort of like be the information for people out there, not go and throw it in their face, but, you know, when the opportunity arises... We have information on, say, well, we got a chapter to the wives. You can talk to somebody about this, family afterwards, or to the boss. So, you know, the, 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 the longer we stay in the closet as recovered alcoholics, the less the information gets passed out to the people who need it. So when you're comfortable, when you feel, feel it's an appropriate thing to do, share this book with people who, who need the information. Because, you know, selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the key. That's the worst of us. So let's help others while we're at it. So next week, ah. Oh. Vision for you. We start talking about ourselves again. That is going to be so nice. Everyone's going to love doing that again. So let's start wrapping up. We got a next week. We'll be starting that. So we got um, some stuff to read before we wrap up. Did anybody want to have a quick say before we got out of this chapter? Let's move on. Okay. This is from a vision for you. Speaking of, oh. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you can obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group members, sponsors, to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Do we have any new uh, sponsors-sponsee relationships? Yeah, if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you got a new sponsor, you don't have to be a member of this group. This is just introducing those guys to the, to the family of AA. So come on up, and we'll pass that thing out. Is it green? Yes, so I started working with Greg. Um, I met him last week. We did Preface and Forge, Doctor's Opinion. Um, I just want everyone to meet him, get his number, and fellowship with him. Welcome, Greg. Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Raise your hand. A sponsor. Anyone need a sponsor? Anyone shy, you can come up and talk with us after the meeting. And uh, if you'd like to become a member of this group, you wanna, do you want to read off any of these? No, I'm okay, having fun. Okay. All right. If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. Can all home group members please raise your hands? Good. And we'll see you guys right after help tear down the room, too. 
Um, by the way, next this Thursday, we got Peter M. downstairs in the big room. How, did you do that? No. And he's on his third session. Show up at 515. Get to know us. Help us set the room up. You know, shoot the breeze, as he would say. Um, get to, And at 630, also show up for just your know, casual fellowship. And then at 715, Pete jumps in, and I highly recommend you come. It's a series that will change your life. Thank you for joining us tonight, and we hope to see you next week. Um, please wait until you're exactly 75 feet away from the doors before you make clouds or smoke cigarettes. All right, let's close uh, the meeting now with the Lord's Prayer. If we ask, who will bring us from shame to grace?
This little light of mine, I'm 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life. I'm 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. That's at my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Broken man I travel far and wide through the great divide through his own heart. Yeah, well, I have a life today when it's give away and it's just about to start. So I face each day. Brand new way, show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs, and people sing along, and stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share, nothing could come. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. So 